I was a day stripper. And so for me, a good day was $200 to $400. And I didn't know, I didn't have anything to gauge on. So that money that I was making was really good for somebody who had no skills. I had no skills. I didn't know what I was doing. People were just paying me based upon my looks. It did get better. Um, the money increased as I learned how to navigate, as I learned how to talk to people. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have a very unique guest. She goes by Pixie. She is a stripper and has a podcast. So before Pixie introduces herself, I want all of you to smash the like button, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and check us out. So Pixie, what's up? I've been looking forward to talking to a stripper for so long on the podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on here. I'm excited to be able to like uh, just hang out, tell my story, uh, talk to you. I went from stripper to podcaster, so I'm a little unique duck, if if you will. And I've just been having so much fun learning how to podcast and then now teaching other people how to do what I do already. Wow, that's amazing. And stripping is one of those interesting worlds, right? It that really a lot is. of people just think like, hey, you're going to go strip. And you're going to make 4K a night. But you know the actual world's stripping, right? And that's not... That happens. I mean, it can it happen. Ha- it yeah. can happen. But it, <laughs> how often does that happen? That is... a So back in the day, a good night would be 1000 to $2,000. Now it's less than that because the industry has changed. Like uh, we were talking on a Twitter space earlier today. And it's dinosaurs in the industry sometimes... People don't change. So pivoting has to happen. So with being a stripper, if you're not willing to change, if you're not willing to grow and know that the shelf life for an individual that happens to be spicy like that, if they're not changing, they're not growing, they're not learning and developing themselves, their money kind of dwindles and you get burnt out and you it distasteful and you start hating everything. I did a lot of that. <laughs> Let's talk about the shelf life of the industry because what do you kind of see? Like what's I, realistic? So realistically, strippers don't make it past a lot of strippers. A lot of people think that they're built for being able to take their clothes off and talk to people. And a lot of people don't even make it past three months. Wow. If you can make it past three months, then the next stage is three years. And then after that, it's 10 years. And most strippers don't make it into 20 years in the industry. And that's where uh, I retired, but now I'm back at it again. So I left to become a podcaster. I thought uh, podcasting would be my thing. I became a really good social media presence. I learned how to talk to people. I learned how to market a podcast from zero to where I'm currently at, which is 14K, all on my own without any kind of budget. And here I am talking to you. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it just shows how you're versatile and that you're thinking ahead because I see so many people, they're kind of in that lifestyle and they don't necessarily think of the exit because nobody who starts stripping thinks like, hey, I'm going to only do this three months and then leave. It's that they didn't know what they were getting into. So the people that sort of leave within three months, what are kind of the reasons that they're leaving? What are some things that they should know before even starting? Well, one of the things that they should know is that it's not for everybody. Not everybody has the bravado to get up there. Not everybody can command a stage, let alone dance, let alone. There's such multifaceted. You have to be willing to be a communicator with other people. It's just like in business. Except for yeah. you're wearing a little less clothes. And yeah. and it can be so much fun. But these people that do jump into it, they do think it's going to be really easy money. They don't see what it takes for time and effort and to hone your craft. So a lot of people, they just jump out. Another reason that somebody might not 
enjoy the lifestyle is um, relationships. Having somebody that does not understand what you're going through as you're up there and entertaining people, they already have a preconceived notion of what that person is doing. And then they might not just understand it's a business. The person's trying to make money and not everything you see in radio, television, and movies is exactly what is portrayed. Every time I hear people talk about it, they're like, ah, I should just do it. I'm going to make 4K at night. And there's so much more that goes into it. So when we were talking before, you mentioned there's like a stripper triangle, right? Because you mentioned that there are ugly people who can make money. There oh, are yeah. beautiful people who don't make money. And there are certain things that you need. So what, let's talk about this triangle. Okay, so you can be a beautiful stripper and not make any money. It's hard, but that that person is probably really boring. So they're initially, yes, yeah, somebody's going to come up and tip them, but there's no shelf life, shelf life there. Or you can be less attractive and very capable at marketing and talking and telling a really good story. That's where I come in. I, I, I'm not discrediting myself. I'm just saying I'm a really good negotiator when it comes to time and effort and knowing my strengths and knowing where you place in the hierarchy of a strip club can really benefit if you're really good at at networking with other people. I may not be like the top tier entertainer, but I know a girl. And if I can yeah. bring a girl and I can bring maybe another girl and we can sort of attack the day and have communications between one another, I can help out so many different people while helping myself out. So I've always been this kind of individual that knew my strengths and weaknesses. And I relied on storytelling to be able to allow myself to have fun with the job. And it really does help. Okay. I got to ask you, how does a stripper tell a story on stage? It all depends on who's your audience. So some sometimes a dancer won't be very good at dancing or the song will be terrible or the microphone, you know, the music will cut out. So in that moment, you have to be ready to pivot and move into sort of either telling a joke. I tell a lot of jokes. I am very versatile in terrible storytelling. And, and sometimes it takes a distraction. It's like up close magic. So you're showing them or telling them one thing and you're doing something else while you're trying to uh, gain access to their wallet. So it's sort of a magic trick when you're talking to individuals and it can be so much fun. Wow, really that's can. interesting. So let's kind of take it back. How was high school like for you and what do you want to be when you grow up? I absolutely, I'm one that was always in the dean's office. I'm one that was always in trouble for either getting into fights or talking, talking too much, not wanting to be there. None of the high school didn't provide me anything that I wanted to learn or that I wanted to do. So I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just, I just knew I didn't want to be in high school and things quickly, home life was kind of terrible. And I quickly wound up with a brand new baby at the age of 18. Oh, wow. So I, I was a dropout. I, I decided that, you know, high school wasn't for me. I knew everything. I knew everything that there possibly could be. And why would I stay in school? Well, I also had a, a newborn that I had to take care of. I had no idea what I was going to do. I had one job and it was terrible. It was, uh, I worked for dog, uh, greyhound racing. Okay. So my my high Greyhound Park, it's no longer available. They do Greyhound racing still, but no longer here where I live in Denver, Colorado. But it was a terrible first time job. And it was basically, all right, I'm going to gross out your listeners. It was catching pee in a cup. Wow. So as a dog handler, you would walk the dog around in a circle and you could catch a urine sample only if the dog decided to pee. So there you are following the dog around with a cup and you're waiting for the dog to pee. So it's a random sample for the dog to be tested for drugs before the dog ran out from the chute. I never even knew that was a job. It was a job. 
It was a job. And then they had showrunners. So, so after you walked the dog around, you handed the dog off to somebody else for them to run the dog down the track and load them into the chute. I never did that. I just catched pee in a cup. I did it for like, oh, I think, I think four months and I was just absolutely not with it. I didn't want to do it anymore. So I decided that, you know, there's all of these videos. There's so many different, you. well, it wasn't YouTube. This was before yeah. YouTube. This was uh, music videos on MTV. This was yeah. showgirls on, on movies. And I was like, you know what? I bet I could do. I bet I could strip. I bet that that is something of my skill set could do. So I decided that I gathered some chunky heels and I, and I gathered an outfit and I was going to go downtown. I've never done it before. I was going to go downtown. I was going to audition to be a dancer. Now I have a brand new baby at home, still young, still pretty and cute. So I thought, and I was going to wa- wander in. I had my idea. I was 18. I found that um, certain strip clubs in the Denver metro area, if they didn't serve alcohol, you could be a dancer. Anybody could be a dancer. So I was like, all right, I go in. I, I talk to the manager on staff. He says, all right, go back there and change. Oh, shit. Well, now the realization is that I'm in this dungy, uh, gross club. There's no windows. There's no, there's no nothing. You don't know what time it is outside. Yeah. I go in the back. It's all lockers like high school. You change, you come out. And there's one stage in this whole thing. The whole club is this ugly red. They have those big, big chairs, big vinyl red chairs, lots of mirrors. Everything smells like cigarettes. I don't know what I'm doing. I walk up and I talk to the DJ and he goes, well, all right. What kind of music do you like to play? I was like, I don't know. I like, I like rock and roll. He's like, don't worry about it. I got you. But what are we going to call you? What? I don't know. I, I didn't get that far in the mental mindset <laughs> to think of how I was going to get there. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Now I need to think of a name. He goes, well, explain yourself to me. I was like, ah, I'm fun. He's like, everybody's fun. I'm like, I'm small, petite. He goes, well, is there anything that you like? I was like, well, I like, I like fairies. He goes, well, why don't we call you Pixie? You're petite, cute, innocent, kind of dumb. I think it'll work for you. And he goes, I want you to go up there. You're going to have two songs. You're going to dance. And then when you're done, come back and talk to the manager. I was like, okay. So I go up. It's a runway opening up into a stage. There's one pole in the middle and every everything is lifted. So I'm up there. I dance for the first song. I think it was like my en- angel is a centerfold. So definitely 80s rock. I was like, I, I got this. And I thought I was so cute. I want a little baby doll on, uh, full back panties. I thought I had everything together. So I didn't, I looked like sort of like a stripper, but I didn't look like a stripper. So up there, I look like a, probably like a deer in headlights. I, I moved. I was kind of scared to see like who was going up there. Uh, older gentleman in a trench coat comes up. He tips me and definitely thank good it was darkness that I couldn't see what he was doing below the belt. Oh, no. I know, right? So it was a very dingy and gross club. But afterwards, I gathered my money up. This guy had tipped me a 20. I made $40 on my first set. I was so excited because the only other job I had was catching Pianica. And so it was interesting to see what I was capable enough to put myself up and put myself out there. So I get down, I go over, I talk to the manager, and she goes, you did great. You did fine. We'd We'd like to hire you. And I was like, all right. Was like, well, can you work today? Yeah, I can work today. So excited. And she goes, so now from now on, just so you know, this is an all nude strip club. I never took 
my bottoms off the whole entire time. And at that point, I went from, cool, I got the job, to what did she say? And from there, it just kind of, I, I learned my craft. I, I learned how to talk to people. I learned how to tell stories. I learned how to be me, but on a scale that was personified. So there was, there's regular Pixie, and then there's on-stage Pixie. And you kind of have to turn things up, and you have to be such an interesting presence when you're, when you're available like that. You basically wear your skin as armor. Oh, I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. That's that's interesting. So how was it the first few months of stripping? Like how was Terrified. the money? I was a day stripper. And so for me, a good day was $200 to $400. And I didn't know, I didn't have anything to gauge on. So that money that I was making was really good for somebody who had no skills. I had no skills. I didn't know what I was doing. People were just paying me based upon my looks. It did get better. Um, the money increased as I learned how to navigate, as I learned how to talk to people. And from there, I sort of worked at it. So I haven't just been an exotic dancer. I've had multiple jobs while I was a, being an exotic dancer because you can't just go home and tell your mom, hey, mom, I'm a stripper. Hey, mom, taking my clothes off for money. So you have to think about what's next and what you're going to do next as an entertainer. Interesting. So what other jobs did you hold while you're an exotic dancer? I was a DSO tester for Quest Communications. Okay. I tested T1s, T2s, and T3s. I had my own call log of technicians out on the field that were putting up other people's services and disconnecting your landlines. And this was back this is back yeah. when people still had landlines. So that was an interesting job. That lasted that lasted about a year. Um, it definitely was more interesting when Quest did, decided to do all of their insider trading. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. A lot of us lost our jobs. And then I've done, gosh, I've done a lot. I've been a flagger. I, <laughs> I was once upon a time, I was a mailman. Wow. Yeah. So I used to walk 22 city blocks. Everything that I've ever done has been to see what do I want to become. And I've mm. always kind of circled back towards exotic dancing. I, <laughs> it's how do you manage? How do you manage like both? Well, you don't. Uh, the, the daytime job kills your spirit, right? <laughs> and then the nighttime job is fun and fast and there's a lot of alcohol and there's a lot of people, oh, I'll take you out of here. Just say the word. And you're like, I don't want you. I want your money. So there's yeah. a lot of interesting things that have to go on while you're managing both. And it it's definitely a separation of self and individualism as you're trying to navigate through life. And I just... I never completely found myself at one with those jobs. So I was mm. always looking for something better, something more exciting. Because at night, everything's exciting. But during the day, everything's boring. And I don't, I was like, forget this. I'm just going to stop and become a stripper. How many days a week do strippers work? Like, You can is work it... seven days a week. Wow. Do, is that common? Uh, some people do. I do not. Uh, I was definitely working four, four days a week. But the good thing about being an exotic dancer is that you get to pick your schedule. If you want to work the important days, you're going to work the important days. If you don't want to work, well, you're just going to take a, a loss because there's not going to be a paycheck there. Now, how does it work? Do you have to pay the club anything? Like, how does that situation work? So different clubs have different rules. Um most of the clubs I work, we pay out on the, at the end of the night. But there are a lot of franchise clubs that you pay before you even work. So depending on what time you get there to the club, you're paying a premium for, for the time that you're there. So you're basically an independent contractor. Now, there was a time in Colorado, because that's where I'm from, guys, yeah. uh, that you would get a paycheck just for being there. 
Okay. It wasn't enough. It wasn't anything. It was basically wor- um, waitress status. Yeah. But it was enough to pay like a phone bill or something. Yeah, yeah. And And if you weren't spending your money correctly, every two weeks you get a paycheck. Yeah. For being there. So I really, it, it was kind of like a, a buffer net. Because yeah. you didn't know if you were going to make any money in the strip club or not. And it, but it was it was very interesting to see that we moved from getting paid to paying out. So what are normal typical payout rates? Um, for my club that I'm currently working out, it's 10%, 5%, and 5%. So you're paying the most to the DJ because yeah. he's providing the music. And then yeah. 5% to the bar because they're making money off of clients and people buying drinks. And then the doorman, he gets 5% because he's going to be your security. Ah, so you're, so what is it? 10, 5, 5, or what would you say again? 10, 5, and 5. So 20% is going out. Yep. Right at the end of the night. But there are some clubs that make you pay when you get there and then they make you tip out when you leave. Mm, I see. I see. So now you mentioned that you grew, you became better, and you made more money. When did that sort of happen, right? Was it that six months or a year when things really started to get together? Year. Yeah, it was about a year when I felt comfortable and that I was willing to move from the small club to night shift and then to a better club. Because okay. certain clubs don't really have the the pool that, you know, the bigger the club, the more money you're going to make. Sometimes. Mm. So now what happens when you move to a bigger club? Like, how does the money change? Because you said two to 400 was, you know, sort of what you got in the beginning. What was like sort of the next stage? Like, okay, now I can pull so X amount. as I got better at the small club, I became higher on the totem pole. Because like, for one, I'm young, I'm cute, I'm friendly. Now that I'm learning skills... Was no longer somebody on the bottom of the totem pole. I became a big fish in a small pond. And so that helped my money. So when I went from a small dinky rinky dink club, I went to the girls are prettier. The club is bigger. There's more girls. Now I'm I'm fighting for time and effort with customers who have money and I have to step up my game. So there's a lot of pressure going from something that's comfortable to something that's not. And the money did increase because I was I was taking all of the knowledge from the original one and moving into something bigger and a little even more scarier. I mean, the, the club that I went to, it's no longer around. Well, actually, it pivoted and changed owners over and over again. So, but that club, everybody was blonde, um, big fake boobs and no asses. So yeah. it was it was interesting to see where I came from to where I was going. And I, I moved I moved from club to club as my skill increased. Okay. So what's the what's the pay ranges that are realistic at those types of clubs? Uh for the higher end clubs, you're looking around eight to maybe even up to two K on a busy night. But then okay. you're also you're also tipping out, but there it's it's different from from state to state, city to city. Yeah. If you're going to Miami, you're probably making some really good money. If you're in Vegas, you're probably making really good money. But if you're in like Wisconsin, yeah, you know, I, I mean, it 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 does depend on location. Depends okay, on location okay. and your clientele. Yeah. So what is so what does the money look like in like a place like Miami or like a place like Vegas? So I've never worked in Miami or Vegas, but I can assure you that the money and um, is higher. It is going to be higher because you have to hustle on such a, a different level. So in my club, because there's only maybe 22 girls, I'm getting up on stage once per hour. Okay. In a Las Vegas club, you might, even, you might only get up twice per shift. Oh, wow. So you have to be able to understand that not only is your competition higher class, everybody's got nails, they got the extensions done, they've got tan on, yeah. you're, you're paying so much out to get so much back mm. that, that the game changes at that level. So and what are sort of the investments that a, an exotic dancer needs to make? Like there's the nails, there's the hair, 
What else? There's shoes, there's outfits. Outfits run anywhere from $80 and up. Just your basic uh, thongs are going yeah. to be $25 just for a pair of underwear. And yeah. it's it's ridiculous. Like you're putting so much, it's like a personal investment on yourself. It's just like any kind of career you want to hone the thing that's making you money. So if you're a public speaker, you work on public speaking. If you're a dancer, you're going to work on your outer body uh, appearance as it goes. And because I I retired, so I'm sort of starting to get back into it. There's a lot of things that I have to do to bring myself up in the rankings. But at at this time where I'm at, I can be a little more fluffier and I can enjoy talking to people and I can lean upon the things that I already know. So I definitely wouldn't wouldn't be a a Vegas stripper if I <laughs> just being honest. <laughs> yeah. No, so how has the industry changed? Because now you have just there's like the OnlyFans component, online social media presences play a big part in it, right? In terms of being your own marketer and it's just like people's habits are different. Things are digital and all that stuff. So how have these things impacted the industry? So back in 2020, uh, the majority of the girls, they went into regular jobs. They had something that they could rely on. A lot of them were CNAs or the hairstylists. They, they had something. They had a trade to go yeah. to. But then some of the girls didn't have anything. So they said, you know what? I dance so I can I can do fans only. And a lot of them didn't understand how the marketing aspects and yeah. how much investment you have to put into something like fans only. Fans only is really hard to be able to put yourself out there and know it, it's like learning a whole new platform. Yeah. Like for me to learn LinkedIn, it's something that I don't know how to do. So a lot of girls, they they failed. Yeah. There was a lot of failure when it comes to fans only. And everybody's like, oh no, you're just you're just showing TNA and everything's gonna be fine and and people will just throw money because because you're you're pretty. Well, it doesn't work like that. It's very few and far between that even even the prettiest girls at the top of the club were even making any money because they didn't know how to market. So wow. that that did change. It changed a lot of people's perceptions. It you saw um, housewives actually make it because they were willing to drive clientele to their site. They were able to do a lot of different things. You had to have sort of a niche to your content that you're putting out, and it was a lot of things that people didn't think. We are in the TikTok generation where it's all cute little dances and. Yeah. I'm weird. I'm older now that that I've been in the industry that I look at at social media in a different kind of light that I think that maybe social media might be a little too much pushing upon our younger generations yeah. that I don't like it. So, I see a lot of younger people getting into the industry and not knowing what they're getting into. And then I see a lot of the younger industry not only are they getting into the industry, but they're pushing past the line that that's no longer dance or entertainer. The lines are becoming blurred because they see something and they don't understand the meaning or what it was built upon. So like the like the term escort yeah. is something that younger girls will get in and they'll be like, oh, I want to be an escort. And I'll ask them, well, what is your terminology for escort and they'll tell me something and I'm like that's not an escort sweetheart yeah and and you have to kind of you have to understand that it's it's all the TikTok it's all what we're seeing online it's all celebrities and stuff that are pushing it in a direction and for me it's it's kind of scary to see what's going on so I'm I'm watching the industry change and pivot as we speak yeah no it's it's very interesting because, yeah, a lot of girls don't know what they're kind of getting into. And they're, it's all based on rumors. It's all based on these accounts that have a lot. And these accounts, they really care about. They have some way of monetization. They have some way of driving a certain type of clientele. And 
they'll sort of tell you what gets them the most likes or followers. They don't, they don't necessarily have to be real or authentic. So thank you kind of for sharing this. Now, what are some mistakes that you made along the way? Uh, with dancing or with uh, podcasting? <laughs> well, let's go dancing. Okay. Uh, well, with dancing is that I didn't save my money. I didn't. Okay. I was earning all of this fun, fast cash, right? And I wasn't, I was paying for a house on my own. I was paying for a car on my own. Uh, it was just me and my brand new baby. And I wasn't putting aside anything for my future. So that was yeah. one of the things that I was doing. I also wasn't, I wasn't managing my time well enough. I'd make a really good amount of money and then take the next couple of weeks weeks off or I yeah. would I I wouldn't say that I was necessarily the best person for financial backing when I was younger. So now that I'm older and the money is not quite there, it's a little harder to go and say, "Oh, this is what I'm doing with it." And yeah. and those were just pitfalls that every single dancer unless she's got her head correctly mounted She's not thinking about the future. Okay. No, that I guess that makes sense. Are there any dancer that you kind of go in and it's like, she's going to go far. She's saving oh, her yeah. money. She's doing it right. Oh, there, there, are, there are women entrepreneurs. There are business owners. There are people going, putting themselves through college. There are so many amazing females that are in the industry that they're legitimately there to make their lives better. And sometimes the money that they're making at the club is better than the degree that they're getting. They're just, yeah. they're throwing their money away because they think that that's going to be the thing. But a lot of them, just smart individuals that you would never even know unless you went in and talked to them. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've heard the common story of, hey, I stripped while putting myself through law school. <laughs> and then once they college. got the degree, they kind of, they're kind of out. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because a lot of people don't talk about it, right? They don't, want to kind of get it out, but it is a legitimate way and, you know, more power to them for kind of doing that. Now, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? My biggest accomplishment? You know, I don't really have one. I'm kind of a, a, a ship without a rudder at this point. I think learning from um, what our situation that just happened with COVID and everything, that, that I'm versatile, that I'm still kind of learning where I'm going. So I, I learned how to podcast and I, I, not only did I learn how to podcast, I learned how to weld. I learned wow. how to do, I learned how to do Bondo work. I know how to um, restore classic cars. So I didn't just pick up podcasting. I've always been this sort of person. I want to learn everything. So as a lifelong learner, I knew that I wasn't going to go on to college. I knew that I wasn't going to want to spend a whole bunch of money on something that I wasn't going to benefit from because I knew myself as an individual that it might not be the possibility for me. So I don't want to, I'm kind of a cheapskate. So I don't really yeah. want to spend a lot of money on something that I won't use in the future, but I still want to learn things. And the good thing about myself is we have this fantastic, bit of technology right in our hand that we can open up YouTube. We can learn from each other and we can learn so much stuff without spending a whole bunch of money. Yeah. And so welding is one of those things that I learned how to do. Podcasting is one of those things that I learned how to do. Just last year that I learned how to weld. That I'm is, 40. That is interesting. That's, <laughs> you're always reinventing yourself. So that's super impressive. And I absolutely love hearing it. So you obviously have a long career, right? Yes. Now, what would you say was the hardest period of time that you went through? Probably when I was 17 and pregnant. <laughs> I've had a lot of ups and downs. So that's one time period that was um, crazy. Uh, my first divorce, that was, that was kind of crazy. Uh, my front teeth are fake. That was kind okay. of crazy. Uh, I've been stabbed in the arm. That, that was... That was also very interesting. So there's been so many different parts of my story that make me stand out. And I think a lot of people have these kind of stories, especially the ones that are you find interesting, the ones that that kind of resonate in the back of your head. So 
I've been doing a lot of interesting retrospect thinking about what do I want to become? Where am I going? So it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. So now you mentioned that you're kind of, you know, you're going back to it. And what are the ages that you kind of see that are common for uh, people in exotic dancing? So currently, everybody is definitely in their 20s, if not younger. So at my club, you can be 18 in the club. Um, you just can't drink. Yeah. yeah. But you can still be in the club. So I see a lot of a lot of 20-something-year-olds. Um, 30 is, is a little harder to find. And then over 40, it's going to maybe be one or two. Like yeah. currently... At my at my strip club, there's three of us that are over forty. Okay. But it's also not a premium strip club. It's like a yeah, hole yeah. in the wall. So it's it's kind of one of those clubs that people either start their career or in their career. Now, obviously, you, maintenance is an important thing. So, like, what's exercise, diet? Like, have you see has that always been a big part of sort of your life? When I was first dancing and everything, it was real easy to be in shape. But then, yeah, you have to do maintenance. You have to get up. You have to go for a run. You have to take care of your body because your knees will go out. Your back will go out. You won't be taking care of yourself. Uh, you might fall or get hit with a chair. So you have to be willing to take care of yourself and know about the the long-term, the long-term yeah. goals. Uh, you cannot be in the strip club drinking every single night. Uh, you can't be doing drugs. I know it's a fun, fast way to enjoy the night, but it's definitely not advisable. If you can go through, and I've never, I'm not one of those uh, party kind of people, so I didn't have to go through that. But that will quickly turn a good situation into a bad. And knowing that, it's just one of those things that drugs are prevalent in all kinds of industries, but it's even easier when cash is flowing. Mm, no, it makes sense. Makes sense. And just, I guess, the type of clientele that comes, the yep. type of things you get invited to, the perception that people have about you, right? They oh, just yeah. assume that you must be this certain type who acts a certain way. Oh, yeah. And then once they meet you and you just blow them away of how amazing you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen people who have not been able to keep up with the physical demands? Like what, like what's the sustainable schedule? Cause you mentioned like that there's a back going out, there's the knees. Like, is it make sense to work seven days a week or that's someone who can only do that for a few months before they really start burning out and getting injured? Cause this is something that a lot of people don't think about. Well, like with everything else, burnout is real and you can burn yourself out. You can go in and you can do doubles. Doubles are where you work two shifts. So you're working from 12 in the afternoon till two, maybe three, maybe four o'clock at night. That's a long time to be dancing. That's a long time to put yourself out there. And then if you're doing seven days a week, you have no downtime. There's no time to regenerate your brain. There, there's nothing going on. You're just burnt out. And once you burn out, it's, it's a hard realization of that it's not sustainable. Yeah, no, I mean, it, burnout is real. And I, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that. We were going to talk about burnout. You're giving like such good life advice. Now, have you kind of seen people who have gone into the, the industry who you know right away should not have gone? And how do you know? Like, what are the ways that you know, like, hey, this is not for you. Stay away. Um, I've seen people blossom and grow. Yeah. And then I've seen people, that there's always the one or two strippers. She's either going to be a shit show or she's going to be successful. Yeah. And, and right away, I can tell only because I've been in the industry for, for years. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's about knowing people. So, I, so when I first meet a dancer, I can automatically tell if she's going to be either. It's, it's a feeling you kind of get. Yeah. It's just a perception. And when you know that somebody is going to be successful, I, I do like to help. I'm kind of like the mom of the strip yeah. club, okay. the house mom. And I can't, I can't even stop myself. I can't even be like, just leave them alone. But yeah. the ones that I, I know that aren't going to be successful, I can just turn and say, hey, boss, 
that one's not going to be, that one's going to be a troublemaker. I can already tell right at the beginning. And, and it's, it's just a, it's just like a four sense, just knowing people. It's, it's interesting because yeah. I can do that with customers. I can do that with the people that I'm working with. Um, and it can be, it can be trying to, to know that somebody, maybe they'll be successful, but then they'll fall into the wrong kind of crowd. And you'll just see them just nosedives, just circle so straight down. What's the wrong type of crowd? Uh, guys, it's going to be the party crowd. It's going to be the people that want you to participate in the drugs, in the fast, easy life. Um, they're probably pulling you away. They're probably not thinking about the long term. They're just thinking about the party now. And because the drugs and stuff is so readily available, you can wander down the wrong path. You, if you don't watch what you're doing, you could you could end up in different kinds of situations. Like there's a lot of girls that will get approached by gentlemen who run porn industries. Yeah. You know, they got the casting couch. Well, girls see the easy money that is stripping and then they hear the, the money that is porn. Yeah. And so it, it can be bad. You can wind up with a lot of not so good people that don't have good intentions. But if you know what you're getting into before you jump into it and you're listening to stories and you, you go at it with a clear head, you can really make yourself a lot of good money. Yeah, but it's all about knowing what you're getting yourself yeah. into because a lot of times you get tricked or you meet someone who really doesn't have your best interest and you get way too deep that you kind of put yourself in very sticky situations. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah. Can, be, it can be real scary. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds scary. And it, it, I've read some of the stories and it's kind of, they're very sleazy and it's sad what the girls go through because that's not what they signed up for. And, you know, and a lot of people are just not sympathetic. You know, they kind no. of say, oh, well, you should have known. You you had no idea. But a lot of these people, they know what they're doing. They know how to drag you in and add on things. And then all of a sudden you're doing something you didn't sign up for. There's pimps. There are people out there. There, there are a lot of bad actors and they prey upon the the innocence that happens because a lot of a lot of us we started at a really young age and i was luckily i i have a good head on my shoulders and luckily i was able to navigate such an interesting world yeah. i don't i don't think of it as a bad thing yeah i think of it as a just a different side of the story if you could go back and do things differently or yeah if you could do things differently what would you have done differently I would have saved more money. Save more money. Uh, save, invested, and and save more money. Um, I wouldn't have taken the advice from people that said, uh, "I want you to get a credit card and then charge all of the credit card and then file for bankruptcy." Wow, I, that's bad advice. Yeah, that's bad advice. That's so terrible advice. Like there, there's a lot of people that aren't good with finances, and so they give out bad financial advice. And then it just, if I would have known, I would have invested my cash in different ways and just just been able to be better about it. So if you're 18 right now, you know, in 2022, and you're going into this industry, don't, how do you go don't, about Don't, don't, don't. Uh, <laughs> I suggest if you're going to get into the industry, don't. But if you have to and it's there, do your research. Um, I would suggest instead of doing uh, dancing, I would suggest getting into learning a trade. Being a trade, a skilled trades worker, doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything. You can learn on the fly. You can learn from people who are skilled with you, especially if you're a woman and you want to learn something, say welding. Yeah. There are a lot of jobs out there and it doesn't take much for you to get started and start making money now. Trade skills are are so in high demand. And yeah. in the next 30 years, there won't be enough workers for that. It doesn't take a college degree to be a welder, an electrician, a pipe fitter, all of these different HVAC. There yeah. are so many good jobs out there. And dancing if you have to, to put yourself through it. But knowing that there are alternatives out there that make just as much money 
and you don't have to be pretty <laughs> to do it. So, but now let's say there's a girl, she's not listening to <laughs> okay, you. She's saying, she's Pixie, listening. she's not listening. Like, how, what would you recommend she do? Like, she, she does her research. How does she maximize the opportunity? She goes into a club and she, she just goes for it. That's realistically the way. She, she does all of her research. She puts to practice. She puts on the heels. And then she finds out in that moment whether it's for her or not. And maybe you take a friend because it's scary and you and your friend go together and you just try. That's, that's the best. I guess it's one of those things like you can't, anybody can think it. You got to get on stage and perform and think like, what the hell am I doing? It's, it's like doing comedy. Yeah. Sometimes you fail. (laughs) It's definitely not for everybody. And I would, I, for me as an older, I'm old now, but for me as as a seasoned veteran, I say, you know, either try it and get up there and do it or have some sort of plan in case it doesn't work. Because I'm telling you that there's a lot of people I've seen get up on stage, whether I was sitting there encouraging them and making sure that they were okay, that it, it just didn't work out for them. Yeah. No. Yeah. So now let's go to phase two. Let's go to the reinvention. <laughs> and when did you think of reinventing yourself? And always what caused that? Oh, life causes it. Well, yeah. Um, self-doubt will cause a reinvention. Just knowing that there is always something better out there that I could pivot, that I can make myself be better. There's always another book. There's yeah. always another lecture I can listen to. And, and, and I think it's just that I'm not satisfied with the mundane. I'm not yeah. satisfied staying still. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with knowing that certain people, like a good nine to five, that that they're able to be trapped into a box. And I'm just not one of those people. I'm yeah, yeah. A, I'm weird. <laughs> and, and realistically, it's it's always been there. I'm, I've never really stuck with like a, a hobby for more than a year. I've never really stuck with anything except for dancing. That's really been the one constant thing in my life that I've been good at that I, I can just roll back into. But I'm getting older. I'm getting much older. And shelf life, uh, I, shouldn't be, I shouldn't be in the industry right now. I'm 40, well, I'm 41. Uh, I'm past my shelf life. I'm a little chunky, but I'm still funny and I can still dance. So yeah. I, I still have a couple of tricks up my sleeve, but I do need to pivot and I do need to move in. And that's where podcasting came in. Mm. I, I saw an opportunity thing. My club went down because of COVID. And I said, you know what? I've been thinking about podcasting. Here is my opportunity to get into something that is unknown. And I, I knew nothing about podcasting. So when I pivoted, I pivoted hard. And I, luckily, I had a co-host. Luckily, Mr. J, who is my co-host for Next on Stage One, was able to be there and said, all right, let's give it a go. And it was, it, it was just like getting up on stage for the first time. It was completely different and exciting and new. And I was so passionate about it about it in the beginning that the first couple of episodes were just terrible. They were just shit. It was like a deer in headlights. It was just like me dancing all over again for the first time. It was nerve wracking. There was a lot of um, over talking me and the co-host. We we didn't know where we were going with it. All we knew is that we had a passion. Yeah, you, you stuck with it and you've done a great <laughs> job at promoting yourself and just doing so much. Now, you mentioned that it felt like you're starting over again. How was this time different though? Because you did a great job at promoting yourself. You brought a lot of things together. You're doing a lot of Twitter spaces. You're doing great with networking. So I failed. Doing- I failed. I failed. I failed so many times. What, what people don't see, they see um, how many followers I have. But they didn't see how many times I failed. They didn't see that when I first started back in November... I had a hundred followers and I had a fans only and it was different kind of content. It was, 
I was trying to move myself in multiple ways that wasn't what I wanted. And so when you don't have an anchor or a niche or something that grounds you with your content, when you're putting things out there like that, it almost seems like you're grasping at multiple straws and seeing where it's going. So 100 followers, nobody was interacting with me. I didn't know how to tweet. I was banned on Facebook for my spicy content for my <laughs> podcast. Uh, I, I really had to learn on the fly. I was putting out tweets and then I was, I was reading. And then I was putting out tweets and then I was doing more reading. And so as I researched and as I grew, I got to know certain podcasters that also helped me in my journey. So I learned from other people and I learned from my mistakes. So there's a lot of failing. And so when I hit 600 followers, Twitter spaces opened up. Oh, and good. once and, and it was like the wild, wild west. So for those of you that, that don't know what Twitter spaces are, you're missing out on a, a live form discussion that is just, it's fantastic. It's beautiful. It is. Because if you're like me and your tweets aren't grammatically correct, or there's punctuation in uh, places, or you're yeah. maybe a little bit spicy and people don't know who you are and you don't even know who you are yet as a content creator, jumping into spaces was like turning on a light switch. Now they could hear me. Now I could project myself into conversations and just open myself up as a public speaker. And it, and just once that happened, I was jumping into, I was probably jumping into eight spaces a day. Yeah. There were so many spaces that people were just opening them up. You could talk to anybody around the world. And it was just lovely. And the connections, I was meeting CEOs. I was meeting other podcasters. I was meeting people that wanted to grow, but I couldn't host my, my own spaces. Oh. So I was at the whim of everybody else being able to host spaces because the initial spaces, um, there were, there was like, I think there was 200 people that could host spaces. And then it went to 500 people that could open spaces. And then you had to have a certain amount of followers to see spaces and then to host spaces. So not everybody got this yeah. yummy, fun feature. And as soon as I started using it, Twitter gives priority to the people who are using the functions. Oh, okay. So I learned from the people that were using it. And so there's a lot of functions that are coming down the pipeline. So because I'm using it, that I'm, I'm talking about it, I'm engaging in it. I was able to become a better public speaker. I was able to become a better podcaster. I was able to become a better networking person. And failing on my feet and keep moving forward with learning how to market. Nobody taught me how to market. Nobody taught me what I was just, I was looking at other people's stuff and saying, I bet I can do that. I bet I can learn how to do that and do it in such a way that was like guerrilla grassroots marketing. Yeah. I was putting out terrible memes, like terrible stripper memes. I was putting out audiograms, but I was doing it in a way that people were recognizing what I was doing and they were interacting. And then I was congratulating people. And then I was talking to people and I was making my account be the account that I wanted people to talk to. Yeah. Because at first it was like, hey, Twitter, where are the cat videos? Because yeah. I didn't know. I don't, I don't know anything about tweets or the Twitterverse or, yeah, yeah. Or, or interacting with people. Most of the tweets are just a conversation with somebody Shouting out into the void. Yeah. Well, I wanted to be that person who answered the answers the void. If somebody's going to ask a podcasting question, I might not know the answer, but I could jump in there and give them my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And so as I was growing, as I was failing, I was able to help other people lift themselves up. And then when I was fit, first able to host spaces, I was like, you know what? There is a whole cl climate of podcasters and we don't have anybody to talk to. Mm. So I started building people and putting people together. So then it's building communities. 
It's building communities and then it's learning. And then as I was learning, I was able to teach other podcasters how to host spaces. So then, then I was a person of value because I was giving them something that they could use. And now here I am, a little over, uh, I'm almost to 15K, almost there. You're doing a great <laughs> job. So as we sort of come to a close, I want to ask you, if you could talk to 18-year-old Pixie, oh, gosh. what would you tell her? It's too late. It's too late at 18-year-old Pixie. <laughs> when, do you, when do you have to catch Pixie? <laughs> You'd have to catch Pixie at uh, 16 before, uh, before she fell in love with her first dumbass boyfriend. You'd have to catch her there. And you'd have to catch her and say, hey, look, things are going to get better, but it's going to get dark before it gets better. So I wouldn't change anything in my, in my world except for I probably tr- try to like warn me before things, you know, happen. But I would tell her everything that you do, there's always something that it always comes back to. If you're good at speaking, lean into that. If you're good at being creative, lean into that. Know where your strengths lie and stay away from boys because boys are dumb. You should have books before boys because boys bring babies. But I didn't get any of that information when I was young and dumb. But, but I knew that I, was, I had a willingness to fail on my feet. And I still have that trade openness to be able to understand that this is, this is just a stepping stone for what's coming down the pipeline. This is just another thing that I can leverage to my advantage because I have so many different traits, so many different things that I, I'm really good at. I love it. So books before boys. Books before boys. I like that. That's good. Boys that's bring good babies. <laughs> boys bring babies. Uh, I think I'd love to see that in tweet form. Um, but now for the final, is there anything you want to share that you haven't shared already? Huh, let's see. Uh, about stripping or about no, just what in I'm general. Doing? Just in general. Anything, um, in general. Something you want to leave the audience with. I'm creating a better situation for myself. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm always thinking, what can Pixie do now to make sure future Pixie doesn't get mad at past Pixie? So I think just connecting with people, that's really what it's all about. It's really about knowing you. And if you don't know anything, find somebody who knows better. Find somebody more adult than you to really learn from. And that's, that's that's where it's always been. Do you mind kind of sharing how would people support you, sharing your podcast name, sharing your Twitter handle? Well, I have multiple podcasts because that's what happens when you're yeah. uh, crazy like I am, like a fox. Uh, my first podcast is called Next on Stage One, and it's all about the adult entertainment in my life. And if you're looking for spicy drama, entertaining stories, uh, how did I lose my front teeth? That's the drama-filled podcast for you. It's definitely not safe for work unless your your work happens to be at a strip club. And then if it is, perfect. Join in the stories. I also have another podcast, which is called Project Podcast with Pixie. Okay. And it is a conglomerate of mo- a whole bunch of podcasters getting together to answer the dumb questions because Pixie is a project. I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn. And I'm willing to ask questions from people who do know what they're doing. And that right there is all Twitter spaces. I record it. I repurpose it. It's on it's on all of your major platforms. It's even on YouTube where you can get more information on if you're a podcaster or want to, want to become a podcaster. That's yeah. where I'm pivoting and moving into is teaching other people how to podcast because some of the information, it's boring. And yeah. I'm not a boring person. I curse like a sailor. I, I have a different viewpoint on things. And life is interesting. And so should podcasting. Awesome. So follow Pixie. Listen to her podcast. Uh, next on stage one. <laughs> yeah, next on stage one. I'm going to have all the links in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for your time. This was such a cool episode. Remember, books before boys. Boys because bring boys babies. Bring babies. <laughs> yes, I love that slogan. Thank you so much for your time. Really looking forward to doing many more spaces with you. 
Really looking forward to learning a lot from you and then just looking forward to see where the, what the future holds for you. Well, I'm excited that I got to collaborate with you and just spend this time with you. This was a great, this is so much fun. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, awesome. So have a good one and we'll catch up. All right. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com.